0: Welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan UK. In this series you're going to hear from both students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics related to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. My guest today is Kirsty Lilly, a mental health expert who specialises in helping people develop their compassionate self. She has an MSc in Mindfulness and Compassion and along with many other clients is an Associate Trainer for CARBA, the well-being organisation that offers practical help for the Chartered Accountant community. Kirsty is here today to explain why resilience is so important, especially in coping with failure and how becoming more compassionate can really help. Kirsty, thanks for joining me today.
1: Hi Stuart, it's um, great to be here and I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
0: Kirsty, in the introduction, I mentioned your area of expertise and interest was in compassion and using it in helping with mental health issues. But I'm curious, why why did you start going down this area? Sort of what, what was your motivation?
1: Yeah, so I think as I supported people through their difficulties, I noticed some themes or general trends in that people often found it Very difficult to support themselves. They found it easier to support other people in their social world, but applying those um, skills and techniques to themselves was really difficult. I found themes that people would generally motivate themselves with a harsh inner critic, which often made their stress levels worse. And you know, I, I began to explore ways to help them really with the motivation to support themselves and came across the work of Professor Paul Gilbert, who is one of the leading academics in the UK, looking into compassion and how it can help. And it, it really helped me to support other people in a better way.
0: Is it the giving back part? Is that the bit that you find rewarding? Is that the part that's most of interest?
1: I think for me the the motivation is to see people unlock some blocks in themselves to be able to care for themselves and that's the most rewarding element for me to help people to flourish really to help people to have a better relationship with themselves i mean one of the biggest factors to support health and well-being is the quality of your relationships. But what we don't often consider is the quality of the relationship with ourself. And we're really, we're with ourselves well, all of the time. And having had my own experience of things like burnout and stress, I particularly found compassion practices um, really transformative. So I think through that lived experience, uh, that's where my Interest and passion grew.
0: What do you know about the national picture? Have you got anything you can share across that landscape? The sort of um, we hear a little bit on the news about it, don't we, in terms of personal stories? But what's the situation nationally with terms like mental health?
1: Well, we know that generally one in four people will develop a mental health difficulty to a diagnostic level over a twelve-month period. So we know that pre-pandemic, the figures were really high. It was up to twenty-five percent of the population. We know there are certain communities that have experienced um, poorer mental health. So young people have been specifically affected, really, by the impacts of isolation and lockdown and not being able to um, be educated as they usually would. And we know that those people who had mental health difficulties previous to the pandemic have also fared less well. There are people who feel that their health and well-being has improved Maybe they've avoided long commutes to work or a busy office environment that didn't quite suit them. But I think overall, you know, most of us have had some experience of stress and adversity, though not everybody has found it traumatic. I think that's important to say.
0: Yes, yes, there's a line, isn't there? Is this always been an issue or is it effectively, it's always been there and it's just been more reported and people are talking more about it?
1: I think certainly as we open up our ability to talk about our struggles then we often see um rises in the amount of people that are struggling that's a given really we do know that loneliness is a particular problem in our modern day culture and we know that loneliness i think that current statistics are it's um it's as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes today so i think we generally live in a society that is quite disconnected from each other and we don't live in those usual Cacadian rhythms with each other we, we are at heart relational social species and I think that element of loneliness and disconnection has in some way um, worsened our mental health and well-being um, as a culture our brain has been something that's been designed and evolved for us rather than by us You know, it gets itself caught up into all kinds of thinking and feeling loops that can be deeply unhelpful for us. And that isn't our fault. It's a product of evolution that we've been born into the flow of evolution. And part of looking after yourself is to understand how your mind works and where those little traps are. So that's another element of the wisdom of compassion that we recognize that whilst we've got a brain that helps us to do magnificent things, it can also get itself wrapped up into thinking and feeling about things that aren't necessarily that helpful for us, but understandable in some way.
0: Yes, yes. You bring me nicely on to the the next bit, Kirsty. Could you give us a few definitions? So um, resilience and then compassion.
1: Yeah, so I think there are many different definitions of resilience and it's important for each individual to craft or create one that's particularly meaningful to them. But I think in general we mean an ability to be adaptable, flexible, Um, understanding what you can learn through difficulty many of the things that affect our mental health and well-being are the things that happen to us and yet so much of the responsibility is placed within the individual to cope with that so for me there's a big imbalance there so I like to think about it as a, a collective phenomena yeah I think we often have this view of resilience that it's about keeping going through adversity pushing through our emotions but Really that can turn into a very helpful form of resistance really where we find it very difficult to acknowledge that we've reached our personal capacity or our limit and the next step in resilience is to have the courage to reach out and ask for some support.
0: The word resilient is just such a strong word but the way that you're portraying it is the strength comes from not from shutting the door but having the strength to, to keep it open in a way and, and be receptive and change your mind and be a little bit more flexible. Okay, thank you. Um, Compassion.
1: I think the first thing to say is that compassion has been studied across many disciplines, so philosophy, religion, sociology. But the definition that I'm going to refer to now is from a definition of human evolution. So what we mean by compassion is the sensitivity to our own or others' distress and the deep commitment to Alleviate or prevent that distress. So, in a nutshell, a compassionate identity would be one that is helpful and not harmful, either to yourself or other people around you.
0: That's brilliant. Chris, thank you. Let's have a look at those underpinning qualities of compassion.
1: So, the three underlying qualities are courage, wisdom, and a sense of strength and groundedness in your own body and mind. So if we take courage, I think generally human beings are primed to turn away or resist anything that they find uncomfortable or difficult or threatening. I mean, we have that threat system. So developing the courage to turn towards yourself and really acknowledge and recognise what you find difficult and recognise that you're struggling in some way and that you might need some help is an extraordinary step of courage that is really counterintuitive to what we're designed to do in times of threat. So I think we mustn't underestimate the strength that takes to really sit down with yourself and say, this is really difficult for me.
0: So that's courage. Wisdom?
1: So wisdom is the recognition really that as human beings, suffering is part of our journey. We become unwell, we fail at things, we make mistakes. That is all part of what it is to be a human being. The recognition that we all struggle at times, we share that as a common humanity. The recognition that we didn't design our brain, we didn't design the emotions that it experiences that we find difficult like anger and anxiety, rage, guilt, etc. And we didn't design a brain that is constantly thinking about things and gets itself wrapped up but there's a deep wisdom in the acceptance, really, that a lot of these things lie outside of our realm of choice um, in a culture that thinks that we control everything when we, we really we don't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So courage, we got wisdom. And the last one I've got down is grounded. Yes.
1: Yeah, so if we think about courage and wisdom, then the question that we ask ourselves then is what physiological state do I need to be in to access my internal courage and to access my wisdom. The state that we need to be in is really in this grounded presence so that body and mind are connected and we're in that calm state of mind where we can think clearly, we can understand a bigger context, we can access our problem-solving brain and we can see the bigger picture really. Hi, I'm Sandil Malikarchi from Sri Lanka. I'm 21. I did CMA and I'm currently employed as a senior associate in risk advisory at DYD. When talking about resilience, the most recent incident would be my A-levels. I was a straight A student in college up to that point. I was doing mathematics for A-levels. When results came out, they didn't meet my expectations at all. This took a hard toll on me because in Sri Lanka, A-levels is considered a make or break point. So I made a quick turnaround to finance and all my hours studying advanced mathematics paid off.
0: Could you take me through Kirsty a situation where if I was a student and I've just failed an exam, does that mean I'm not good enough? Does that mean I should give up? How can we use? self-compassion and resilience to, to move us forward in a situation like that?
1: Well, I think the first step really is to acknowledge that failure is difficult and allow yourself some time to process that. We live in a world which expects excellence and perfection a lot of the time. Ask yourself, you know, how am I going to treat myself in this disappointment gap? So the gap between what you expected to happen and the reality that you find yourself in. And then the second question would be, Who do I want to experience this with? Do I want to experience this with a harsh inner critic who's gonna internally berate me for all of my failures? Or do I want to experience this difficulty with a inner compassionate self that is my ally that can coach me through this in a way that is helpful and not harmful?
0: I really do love that, you know, do what's helpful, not harmful. I was also thinking about the the inner critic conversation. Because if you're just turning over that fact, well, I failed the exam, this means that I'm not clever enough. I failed the exam, this means I'm not clever enough. That continual loop then leads, well, and if I'm not clever enough, then I should give up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you said there about inner critic. Some of us do hear a voice as such. Some of us might see images, but some of us might just get a felt sense of criticism. So you, you feel in the body, it feels tight or it feels that you're kind of closing in on yourself. So people experience their critic in slightly different ways. So, you know, all of us are unique. And I think the importance is not to get into a fight with your inner critic. You know, it, it it's not about resisting it. There's a protective element to it but usually as we grow, it starts to be misguided and it starts to stop us to do things. It becomes overprotective in a way and it can become quite tyrannical. So the idea is that we build up the part of ourselves that is compassionate, that uses the collective wisdom that we've gained through failure. I mean, all success is predicated on failure, I think is the is the very famous phrase. Most people who do well at things have had several journeys with failure, but had the Resourcefulness and the resilience to persevere, and I think while we're on perseverance, another thing to to mention about compassion is that the research shows that those people who score highly in self compassion um, seem to be much more successful than those people who score highly in self esteem. But self esteem can be quite a fragile phenomena because there's a comparative element to it. So our self esteem remains at a certain level because what what we're doing is comparing where we are to where other people in our social world are. If for very many different reasons our social peers start to do better than us or maybe we start to fail or struggle at things then very quickly our self-esteem can plummet. However self-compassion is this internal resource to help you through difficulty so if you are confident in your ability to get through difficulty and adversity it means that people who are more self-compassionate are much more likely to try again they're much more likely to get back on the horse and think i can do this i'm not frightened of failure i know how to support myself when things get tough that's a really interesting part of the research i think in terms of helping people to access you know the benefits of self-compassion
0: and highly relevant in the situation where not only have you failed the exam but everybody else passed so even having a conversation with yourself or others you know it's very easy to lay out a very strong argument isn't it to say look here's the reality of the situation I know that you think I can do everything but I can't you know I failed this exam everybody else passed what does that tell you and that comparison is where the self-esteem then starts to fall, doesn't it? I want to move on to some tips and hints, but one little bit in the middle before. Can you say something about stress and compassion? Because stress is obviously another, something that people experience, and I know that there's like good and bad stress, but how does compassion fit with stress?
1: Yeah, so it's been shown to reduce levels of anxiety, which is the emotion that generally can arise out of frequent or... Um, long-term stress so if you think in your mind that we have three main emotional regulation systems so we have this threat system which is designed to protect us so it gets turned on in situations that it's not really designed for it also gets turned on when we feel a sense of social rejection and loneliness because we're deeply social species so we're very very hyper attuned to any uh, rejection And then we have this drive center that gives us the motivation and the energy to go out into the world and achieve what we want to. And it gives us these really positive feelings of joy. And then we have this soothing center that is generally underdeveloped, this place of groundedness where we can access all of these qualities. The idea of compassion is that it's helping us to down regulate threat not get rid of it altogether because of course it's very necessary in some situations but to be able to take this overarching view and think how can I reduce my experiences of stress how can I make sure that I'm not in drive too much which is where we know people experience burnout so it gives us compassion gives us ability to shift gears and to keep these circles in as much balance as we can You know, a lot of people at the moment are just stuck oscillating between threat and drive. And what we don't do is take time out to think, how can I grow this green centre so we can see clearly and we can make sure that we're taking adequate rest breaks?
0: What sort of tips and practical hints should people do to get themselves into the green state or the green position?
1: So I think the first thing I would suggest is that people just take a piece of paper and draw out what their circles look like in their life think about the last week and think how big is my threat circle, colour that in red, how big is my drive circle and then how big is my soothing circle and they'd be quite surprised that they're probably quite out of balance, most people are at some point. You can also use that in a future way so you could think well in the next two weeks that are coming up what are these circles likely to look like and how can I take steps to rebalance them so using that in a proactive way. So you could do that for work, your personal relationships, your friendships. And then if you find that your soothing centre is almost the size of a pea, which a lot of a lot of people's are, then, you know, we talked about the importance of surrounding yourself, nurturing those relationships in which you feel a sense of relational safeness and reaching out to people, connecting with people, sharing your difficulties and then giving the same back to them in terms of the flows of compassion. And then the other thing is using the body to support the mind. So try and avoid sitting at your desk for long periods of time where you're hunched over your laptop and your body is getting tighter and tighter. So move away from the desk. Simple stretching exercises. Lift your head up, look out of the window. And then other things would be breathing exercises are a really powerful way to regulate your emotional Uh, systems. Exercise is a really good way, gentle exercise. And then feeding your brain good nutrition, making sure that you're hydrated. And then activities that help you to slow down. So are there any activities that you do in your life which give you this sense of slowing down, so slowing the body down? Listening to music is really helpful for that as well, because the part of the brain that processes emotion is next to the bit that processes music so think about what your body needs does it need a break does it need some fresh air does it need to walk does it need some water and then really becoming aware of your are you in a thinking loop are you beginning to ruminate are you beginning to use your imagination unwisely pulling yourself back into the present moment and using the breath as the anchor is a really good way to do that
0: and i think if you if you think about what people are doing. People have transitioned from classroom learning to online learning, they're they're at work online, they're now learning it whole days online. And I think there's this tendency of just sort of rubbing your shoulder and going, oh that's an ache, that's something I'll just have a stretch a bit later or I'll carry on and I'll drive through. You You get to a point where you dig a hole and your body will naturally say I've got to stop because I can't do anymore staring at a computer screen and studying online and working online, you don't get that immediate feedback that you're in pain. So you carry on and do more of it. And then maybe at a later date, suddenly you wonder why you've had this sort of mental reaction and you wouldn't connect the two.
2: My name is Apoorva Rawat and I'm a part qualified ACCA I'm presently pursuing my post-graduation in Global Financial Trading at London. As a student and a professional, I feel it's very important to be resilient. I believe I am very resilient in terms of managing my part-time work, managing uh, assignment deadlines, managing examinations, and alongside studying for ACCA qualification. Um, The times where I have been really resilient in my studies, especially, was during COVID. I had undertaken a very important research project and I tested positive for COVID. And I really had lost my uh, way and direction and the will to work towards the research project. However, I realigned myself to my aims and I refocused on on my priorities and my educational ambitions. And I was able to get through, through that difficult time.
0: One of the thinkers that you mentioned, which I quite like before, was micro practices. And I know that will probably relate to what you've just said, but just say a little bit more about that. Because I thought that was quite an easy thing for people to do. And, you know, it's not demanding, but it's regular.
1: I think one of the themes that I often hear when I talk to professionals of many different disciplines is they often seem to um, reward themselves at the end of a really busy day. So they'll say, well, I just push through the day, do as much as I can. And they'll say, well, I'll reward myself at the end of the day by a long walk or, you know, a hot bath or watching some Netflix, whatever it is for them. And I often say to them, how about we weave into the day these micro practices? So you might do a breathing exercise while you're waiting for the kettle to boil for a cup of tea. Or you might just step away from the computer screen for a couple of minutes, do a couple of stretches, go outside into the garden. So try not to power through the day and just do this one big activity, but weaving in small practices.
0: What I've learned in particular is the the way that you've took what advice that people give, like kind of be kind to yourself, take a break, drink water, breathe properly, but linked it to the science. You know, it's this continual referencing to how the brain is working in conjunction to a certain extent with the body. But just to try and wrap up, and then I, I want to ask you for some final thoughts. I think what you've said is that if, if resilience is this ability to bounce back, it's that creation of some degree, of flexibility you know the bottom line is you are going to fail at something so that, that that sort of idea of doing things that are helpful and and not harmful can i ask you is there any sort of one two final things that um that you could just summarize this into for once again thinking of this student who's working the way through a set of demanding examinations or, or it, it can even be some situation within the workplace so what would you pull out of the conversation that we've had? And then we'll finish with if there are some resources and uh, different recommended books or websites that people could go to.
1: So I think one thing I would like to mention is that compassion has many faces as well. So we've talked a lot about compassion, be it treating yourself well through difficulty, being able to soothe your emotions, do what's helpful, not harmful. But compassion has also got an element where we might need to assert ourselves. So at one point, it's about soothing yourself, but the other point is it's about how you act in the world. So it may be that you need to be more assertive. It may be that you need to put more boundaries up. It may be that you need to say in work, if you want me to do this piece of work, which piece of work don't you want me to do? So compassion is not just about this soft, kind, soothing element. It's also about the way we protect ourselves And sometimes those boundaries can begin to slip when we're trying to desperately live up to other people's expectations. So there is this element of what we might refer to as fierce compassion, where we are really protecting ourselves the same way that an ally would protect us. And the other thing to think of is if you had a really good friend who was in a similar situation to you and struggling, how would you support them through that? Because the evidence is that about 80% of us would find it much easier to support a friend in a similar situation of difficulty than we support ourselves. So what is it that you would say to this person? What tone of voice would you use? See if you can apply the same thing to yourself. So important to recognise that while kindness has its place and it stands on its own merit, compassion is much more than that. And sometimes it's about standing up in your own power and saying actually, I need some support with this. Um, These are the particular elements of this that I'm finding difficult.
0: Mm. And resources, Kirsty, where where can people find out more about what you do? Or uh, I mentioned Carber in the introduction. Is there resources on their website?
1: Yeah, I mean, they have a plethora of blogs and videos. They have a lot of training courses that people might be able to access So I'd really recommend that people go there. I have um, a profile on LinkedIn, Kirsty Lilly, and then my website is Kirstylilly.co.uk. So I run regular courses and educational sessions. Also on things like how do we develop compassionate leaders? What do we mean by a compassionate workplace? So how can we develop a workplace that is helpful and not harmful to all those who work within it, that can respond to distress in a way that's helpful, can be empathic, can develop psychological safety. So, you know, from the individual to the collective is another one of my passions, really.
0: Kirsty, thanks for joining me today.
1: I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Stuart.
0: Thank you for listening to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. Let's continue the conversation. Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes.